Hello everyone, you are listening to Black Adoptees Identities. I am your host, Christelle Pellicure, and I am a coach and a multidisciplinary creative. Please join me to explore what identity means for adult adoptees and how they form their identity for their own adoption journey. In this podcast, you will hear a variety of views from adult adoptees about their own experience of adoption and how adoption has impacted them and what lessons they have learned along the way. Please note that the guests have been courageous in sharing their stories and some of the content and subject matters can be emotionally challenging and distressing for some individuals. Please use your own judgment whether to continue to listen or not and do look after yourself. And if you are affected by some of the issues discussed, please seek appropriate support and help. In this episode, I am in conversation with Dr. Abigail Asprey, an American domestic transracial adoptee. Abigail is a coach and a therapist. In our conversation, we discussed her adoption journey, a reunion with her birth family, and being a birth mother. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Black Adoptees Identities. I am Christelle Pellicure, your host, and today we've got a special guest, um, Dr. Abigail Ashbury, who is with us. Uh, and I'm really excited to, to speak to Dr. Ashbury today. Uh, Dr. Ashbury currently resides in both San Antonio, Texas, and Baltimore, Maryland, and she's married with three children. Abby is an executive leadership coach and a licensed marriage and family therapist associate. She is also a former teacher and school principal. Dr. Ashbury holds a BS in African American Studies and Sociology, an MA in teaching K-12, a PhD in curriculum and instruction, a school superintendent certificate, an AMED in counseling and development, marriage and family counseling. Abby is a domestic transracial adoptee in Reunion, who was adopted as an infant and as the youngest child in a family of three biological children, making her not only the only adoptee, but, only, but also the only African-American in her family. In addition, she's a birth mom in Reunion with her son. Dr. Ashbury is publishing her memoir in 2023, Adopting Privilege. Abby, welcome to Black Adoptees Identity. Thank, Thank you so you much for your me. time. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it's an honor to have you with us. And what a biography. Um, it's so impressive, all your life journey. Uh, and that's why I'm so <laughs> excited you. to speak to with you today. So just to start with, um, I know we've just introduced you a little bit, but can you tell us in your own words, how was your adoption journey? Sure. So um, my adoption journey was, um, I guess you could say, a roller coaster, ups and downs like all of ours are, um, and huge learning experiences, a lot of which happened as I was an adult. But um, a lot of work around identity, a lot of understanding of racial inequities and those things 
fueled me to my career. So I would say that my adoption journey um, fueled my passion in education and in counseling and in understanding identity development. So yeah, lots of ups and downs. <laughs> mm. And how was um, your identity development? Because that is one of the things that many adoptees struggle with. How did you form your uh, identity, especially if you're the only person of color in your family? So I would say my identity development was formed through like trial and error, um, force, um, me putting myself in positions that I didn't even know, you know, I should be putting myself in, but just it kind of worked out. Um, I don't think that I had the help of my parents um, in forming my identity, although I do think a lot of what my mother did helped to motivate me to want to form my identity. Um, Specifically, she talked a lot to me about race relations and about kind of U.S. society and how they looked at African-Americans and what people would be thinking of me. The the problematic part is that sometimes she had some of those thoughts herself and didn't recognize them. (laughs) So and I think she didn't also didn't recognize my need to explore that identity. I think she hoped I know that she hoped that I would just be like her other three white kids just with a darker colored skin and that all I had to worry about was how society looked at me. She didn't realize that I was going to have my own internal struggle about how I looked at me and how I fit in and how I wanted to navigate that space. And so that my identity development really started to kind of shape form um, in middle school when I started to like worry about my appearance and and, you know, boys and (laughs) wanting to date and not knowing which cultures I fit in. And when I started to listen to music that piqued my interest that my family hadn't introduced me to, but that television and radio had. Um, that's really was the start of my my racial identity development, or at least the formation of it. I, I guess it all started from from day one, but um, the formation of it when I took charge and started to form my identity was definitely around middle school. Uh, what do you think the the biggest challenges were with forming that identity, and how did you overcome it? Um, definitely finding racial mirrors and really understanding who I was and where I fit in. Did I fit in with the Black community? Would Black people accept me when I didn't know much Black culture? And how do I find out more Black culture? So, uh, and my parents had no Black friends at all. I went to a school with no other Black people. So I had no Black friends. I had to go out and meet them places like the mall and the roller skating rink and for my own relationships until my freshman year in high school when I asked my parents to allow me to go to a school that was more diverse. Um, But up until ninth grade, um, I just... I forced myself into black spaces um, because I knew it was important. Um, I knew that I didn't feel comfortable in white spaces. And it's not that I was made to feel uncomfortable ever. I just knew that I, I knew that I was different. I knew that I wasn't the same as every face in the room and I wanted to see myself and other people. Yeah, and tell us about, so you have mentioned in your biography that you're also a birth mom. Can you tell us yeah. a bit more about that part of your story? Yeah, so when I was 16 years old, um, I got pregnant and didn't tell anyone that I was pregnant for seven months. Um, And so at seven months, my doctor finally broke confidentiality and called my parents and told them. Um, So I had two months to decide what I was going to do. Um, At that point, I really did, I didn't know any other adoptees. I was the only adoptee I knew. I hadn't kind of come out of the fog, so I didn't even realize the trauma that I had been through as an adoptee. I didn't even realize, although I had 
been working on my identity. I didn't have the words to say that that was what I was doing. So I didn't know that there were identity issues. I didn't know any of the things I know about adoption now. At that point, all I knew was that I was 17 when I had him, by the time I had him, that I was, um, that I wanted to go to college, that I was being offered check scholarships, that my parents said that, you know, you can keep him, but how are you going to do all these other things? How are you going to go to college? How are you going to run track? How are you going to finish high school? You don't have a job. He's supposed to come in two months. You don't have a crib. You don't have any money. How are you going to do this? So on one hand, they were saying, you can do this, like we'll support you, but they weren't giving me a any kind of plan or a web of support. There was no real support other than words. And then the other thing that they showed me was this option of this life that I had already envisioned for myself. So in that two month period, um, I chose to place him for adoption. Had I known what I know now as an adult, I never would have done it. Had I had anyone offered me any support, I never would have done it. Um, and so that's that, that's been something that I've been wrestling with for the past few years as an adult and after reuniting with them is that all these years I told myself and told the story about how I chose adoption for my son. And now I recognize that it was never a choice. I didn't make that choice. It was it was definitely um, a situation of coercion. Mm, wow, it's wow. I'm I'm listening and I've got goosebumps because I, I had my <laughs> daughter at 20 and I thought that was so young. So I couldn't even imagine at 16 and having to make that decision. Well, not making that decision because the decision was made for you. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine what you had to go through. Um, I mean, I respect you for also going to university and getting all the credentials that you got because you could have also ended up being very depressed because you had to give up your own child, but you didn't. And I think that is really inspiring and very remarkable uh, to get through that. And how did you end up uh, being reunited with your son? So I um, used Facebook and, and found the woman who I had placed him with um, in the agency worker or the owner of the agency and found him through her kind of back door, found him. And he had always known about me. His parents mm -hmm. had found my name on some paperwork and they still lived in the same city that I did. And so they saw my name in the newspaper when I ran track and they followed me into a college until I quit track in college. So they, he had always known my name and had, I guess, a few newspaper clipping pictures of me. Um, so he wasn't shocked. I thought he was going to be, um, but he wasn't shocked. He knew who I was. It was, I found him a few months before he graduated from college. And so it was a bad time for him and he was in finals and here I come jumping in his life. My plan was to, to try to to wait after he he went um, to college for five years and so I, I tried to find him in the fifth year thinking he would have been graduated and would have been off in his life but as it turned out I showed up right when he was in finals time and so um, the initial was kind of like you know wait I'm not ready for this um, but after he got himself ready and wrapped his mind around it we, we reunited and met each other. And how how was the reunion? I guess it's I'm guessing it was very so, emotional. Ups <laughs> and downs, yes, ups and downs. Um, so that was in 2011, I, I believe. Um, and in that time, um, there was a period of time when he lived for us with us for about a year, year and a half. Um, a time when he lived in the same city as us as well. Um, there were times when he asked for uh, no contact when he was dealing with his own kind of adoption fog and coming through some of the abandonment feelings and some of the things that he had to wrestle with and work through. And so 
through all of that, I've tried to stay just as steady. Um, in my own reunion as an adoptee, my mother was not um, there for me. She did not want to meet me. And so I've tried to do everything opposite of what of what she did for me. So when he says, I don't want contact, I say, okay, I'll be here when you're ready. When he does want contact, I say, okay, that's great. So I've been trying to be just as solid as I can be because he doesn't owe me anything, but I owe him everything. Um, I, I need to be the parent that I wasn't allowed to be when I was 16 and 17. So um, so it's been up and down, but um, it, it's always, there's always been some form of contact and always, been, it's been neutral or positive, never mm -hmm. negative. Yeah. And you just mentioned about reunion if you're on birth family. Um, so how did you manage to to find them? And uh, uh, you say your mother didn't want to see you. So how was that also impacted in your own identity? Because, you know, very often adoptees, when they look for their birth families, they've got this image in their head that everything is going to be perfect. Uh, but it's not always. So how does that impact it on your own identity? Yeah, so I found them through DNA searching and then like website searching and Facebook and all of that. So I found actually both sides of my family. Unfortunately, my biological father passed away before I found him. and He never even knew that I was pregnant. I mean, that my, that I was conceived, that his, that his uh, girlfriend at the time was pregnant. Mm -hmm. um, so unfortunately, he never knew about me, but he had seven children. And so uh -huh. I had siblings who were very happy to meet me and I'm still in contact with them and they are amazing. And that has been wonderful. That part of the reunion has been absolutely amazing. And seeing someone who looks like me and they look a lot like me um, for the first time other than my kids was really cool. And then seeing people who reflected the things in my personality that I never knew where they came from, they're all really laid back and easygoing and just kind of a lot like me. My biological family is very type A and high strung and just like always go, go, go. And I never understood like, why am I so calm? And I, and I found out it was because of my, my dad's side of the family. So that's been awesome. Um, my mother had a son who's two years old, two and a half years older than me, my brother. And so I found him first um, and connected with him. When he contacted her and told her that he had found out about me, she was very unhappy um, and sent me a letter saying that I had ruined her, let, ruined her secret and that she would never want to meet me because now I've told her son about me. Um, that, it, that was hard. It wasn't quite as hard as it sounds like it should have been, I think, because I was expecting it. Mm -hmm. um, I knew that she didn't. From the paperwork that I had gotten, uh, my non-identifying information that I had received, I knew that she did not necessarily want to know who I was or be connected. It wasn't, her adoption story wasn't the same as mine as a birth mother. She made the choice. She was older. Um, and so I, I never thought that it was going to be a, some huge, great thing. I, I always was kind of cautious about that. Um, I did it. I what I tell people is I gave myself three days to mourn um, one day because I appreciate the fact that she had me one day because I appreciate the fact that my brother was was willing to reconnect and one day just because it sucked. And so there were three days when I allowed myself to kind of sit in the sadness. And then after that, I said she doesn't get any more of my time and just appreciated the connection that I had with my brother and really the connection that I have with my siblings um, on my dad's side. Yeah, that's uh, that's what the journey as well. What is your perception about adoption in general? Because I know you are in, in a very specific position, being a birth yeah. mother and being uh, adopted. Are you 
are you for adoption or against adoption? Um, I know you mentioned that if you have known better, you would not have put your son for adoption. So what is uh, your position today about adoption? I think that adoption is a big money industry that has any flaws that any money making industry has. I think that too much emphasis is placed on adoptive parents' needs and not on the needs of the child and also not on the needs of the biological family. Um, too much stake is given into who has resources and who doesn't. And um, it, as in with most societal structures, the allocation of resources is not does not equal love, doesn't equal a parenting ability, it doesn't equal any of those things, it's just resources, and too much stake is put into resources. And so, in my opinion, adoption is just as flawed as the education, public education system, or you know, any of our systems that are entrenched with um, racism, inequity, all of the isms. Yeah, and I think with this system, the problem also is, um, you know, a lot of adopters were adopted in the 1960s and the system hasn't been updated very much mm -hmm. along this way because like when you talk about training for family or um, providing support for adoptee, nothing much has changed since I know some of the people have been adopted in, in the 60s. Uh, people yeah. today being adopted still go for the same system. <laughs> Uh, so there is yeah. definitely a lot of flow there and yeah it's not understandable when there's so much money involved yeah. with all that if money. anything it's gotten worse yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. With, with all that money involved there's enough to support every yeah. all the adoptees. and there's so many states in the u.s where um what what has been done in adoption reform has to been to speed up the process to make it easier for parents to adopt children um, and so that's like said of what should be happening instead of looking at how, how can we support and share the resources or figure out how to support family um, preservation they're speeding up adoptions and making it easier for people to take kids from families and to um, even make the waiting periods for people to change their minds shorter um, so yeah, if anything, it's gotten worse <laughs> since the 60s. Absolutely. Let's talk about your memoir. So you've got a book coming out in 2023, uh, Adopting Privilege. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about it without... Sure. Uh... <laughs> yeah, so I actually wrote the book about three, <clears throat> excuse me, three, maybe four years ago um, and was um, had a publisher and was really ready, ready to do it and something just stalled. And I was really frustrated and couldn't understand why that happened. And then over the past two years, so much in my thinking has changed and evolved that I'm actually going to spend the month of June rewriting, um, specifically, mostly the things about my own um, relinquishment, my own experience as a birth mother. There have been things that um, memories that I've had that I didn't have before that triggered and just understanding the coercion that I went through that I didn't understand just a few years ago. And so... I'm nervous and excited to to rewrite those sections. And I'm actually going to talk about kind of that transformation of thinking that I've had and the experiences that have made me realize and kind of open my eyes to what what happened um, and to take that adoption narrative away from the adoption industry and put it back into my voice as an adoptee and my voice as a birth parent, which I think our voices are silenced, especially as adoptees, our voices are silenced. We are forever children. 
um, and not adopted adults who can critically look at a system and a situation and say, listen, this isn't right. And we've got to you know, tell our story. Um, <clears throat> we are labeled angry adoptees or mm -hmm. having a bad experience as opposed to no adoption is trauma. Adoption is loss. There's nothing, no experience that can take that away. No matter how great your, your adoptive family is, it starts with loss and trauma. And it's just the way it is. Um, and so I'm excited to add to the voices, the adoptee voices that are saying we need, we get to be heard. And I'm I'm very excited to to see the release of your book and to read it because I've only got a glimpse of your story here because we've only got a small time together. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to see it and to read it. Um, and I am sure you're gonna this is gonna be a big contribution to the adoptee's voice and to the industry. Uh, so keep us posted when it's uh, published so we can make noises and spread the word when it's out. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. Nervous and excited. <laughs> <laughs> so my um, my final question to you, which I ask all my guests, is uh, around what um, advice would you give to your younger self or to a younger adoptee out there who might also be struggling with their journey? or are still in the fog, what would you tell them? Um, so recently I wrote um, on my Instagram post about the fact that we as adoptees often feel so unworthy um, because of the abandonment, because of the neglect, because of the rejection. And I wish I had known that it wasn't me that it was unworthy. It was the my circumstance that made me feel like I was unworthy. Um, and so I would say, like, you are worthy, you are lovable, you are beautiful, you are amazing, you have your own story, and your circumstances don't determine how you end up. If they don't determine how you get to, to, you get to navigate the world the way you want to navigate it, your circumstances are how you started. They're the things you have to carry and heal from, but they don't define you. Um, so, like, definitely figuring out how you want to define yourself, how you want to show up in the world, all of that is your choice. Adoption doesn't get to define your circumstances. You get to do that. And so I wish I had known that earlier <laughs> um, and really understood that I was worthy of all the things that everyone else was. It was the system that failed me, not me. That's such a brilliant advice because I wish I had that advice too when I was younger and I'm not right in my 40s to learn those, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> those lessons. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. That is um, absolutely amazing. And uh, I, I really loved speaking to you. And I, I wish you all the best with the book. Uh, and thank, thank you. you so much again for spending some time with me. Uh, I really appreciate uh, your time. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This is Christelle Pellecure, and you have been listening to Black Adoptees Identities, where Black adult adoptees share their stories. Please do share and subscribe to our podcast, and do stay connected with us by following us on Instagram at Black Adoptees Identities. Thank you for listening to this week's episode, and until next time, goodbye.